Hello, welcome adventurers to the Travel Log, podcast which I, Stephen Hoffer, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We will go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions on what type of counters you can run in the area, or what type of character you create whose background is based in the area. This week we're covering the Plain of Standing Stone and the High Ice. Lily, is Storm King's Thunder the best Faerun-based adventure in Vimy? Never played it, <laughs> but probably not. I don't know. I think it's opinion-based. I've read it. I've read most of them. Yeah. But it really depends because I guess Strahd's not really in Faerun. You can start in Faerun and get transported, but then you're not in Faerun. But uh, it really depends on what you like. It's got a huge, it's got a huge, massive hex crawl. Yeah. So like if you like exploring the world and mm-hmm. just like kind of going around to different little villages and meeting all the people and interacting with NPCs and side quests, then I think this would probably be your a favorite of someone if they really enjoy that aspect of D&D. Like they kind of just like going around talking to Sally Mae in her little village and finding out that, oh no, her wife was gone missing. Let's go look for her wife. Yeah. And while that's happening, there's this big war with giants going on that eventually you get embroiled in through traveling around the region. I think that's cool. Chult is similar with the... Uh, um, Massive hex crawl. They both have really big hex crawls. It's Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, Tomb of Annihilation. I think they're both comparable in that sense with the hex crawl. One is just more the frigid north and its unique peoples. And one is more everywhere you go, it's going to fucking kill you. Right. <laughs> but I don't know if I'd say it's the best. Reading through it, it sounds really fun. And I think we'd have a lot of fun playing it. But if you didn't like the hex crawl aspect of it, I think you might uh, fall off pretty quick. That's totally fair. But that being said... Yeah, after doing a read-through and just reading reviews and what people think about it and, you know, yeah. taking quite a bit of inspiration from it, uh, it seems like it's one of the better ones. Um, Icewind Dale mm. is also supposed to be really freaking good, and that one has, like, sort of a hex crawl. It's It has a large, you know, they kind of give you the map of Icewind Dale in 10 towns, right, and it's right, just right. like, go to town. And so it also is kind of uh, open-worldy in that aspect. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I brought it up because uh, if it's not obvious, we're going to be touching starting from now forward into a lot of the areas covered in Storm King's Thunder. Right. I think the modules are at their best when they have a modicum of open-worldness mm-hmm. because of the fact that everyone sees D&D as like, I can do whatever I want, I can go wherever I want. But if you play Waterdeep Dragon Heist, it's like, yeah, okay, it's kind of open-world in Waterdeep, but like not really. There's still linear plot. Right. And... Like, yeah, you can kind of do whatever you want during Tyranny of Dragons, but, like, not really. It's pretty railroady, and the hex crawl in Out of the Abyss is pretty bad. And, yeah. you know, like, Descent into Avernus, it's sort of open-worldy, but, like, it's kind of tricking you that it's open-worldy, and it's actually super railroady. And while these adventures are fun, I feel like Storm King's Thunder does a good job of still capturing the kind of wide-eyed adventurers in a big world where we can go wherever we want feel right that makes sense while still having a linear story progression involving the giants the central region of the great desert of anorak is not a sandy waste but rather a wind-whipped almost treeless rocky plain this broad belt-like area rises above the sand in the plateau though it is anything but flat or smooth The howling, almost ceaseless winds have shaped and torn the rock of the plain into spikes, pillars, and strange wave-like shapes, making it a tossed sea or barbed forest of frozen, endless stone. 
The whole area is a succession of spires, spiny ridges, cliffs, and rockslide rubble. At first glance, it all appears lifeless, but closer inspection reveals a few shrubs and stunted trees clinging to the rocks and cracks in deep ravines. The larger valleys are sometimes revealed to be splendors of lush green and vivid flowers, providing forage for large herds of wild crag sheep. These in turn provide milk, wool, and meat for outlaws, renegade dwarf bands, and a few humans and hobgoblin barbarian tribes. Hens full of ogres, hill giants, and verbigs also dwell in caves here. The mineral wealth of this tortured land is great, but it boasts no rich ruins or treasure caches. There were few settlements here even before the Arnak was a desert. Its ravine pools and rock pillars or peaks seem endless in numbers, and only a few have been named by outlanders. Um, Verbeeg are a type of giant kin that are just like really big humans. Yeah, yeah, they're just kind of big humans, yeah. They show up in Icewind Dale, they're like stealing wine and ale, and you gotta get the <laughs> wine and ale back. Yes, yeah, so this is kind of that middle part of the desert if you ever get a map that's a bit more right i guess visual in its representation this is after it's been very sandy now you're in the plain of standing stone and it is quite rocky area yeah on some maps you can see it it kind of becomes more dark brown rather than that kind of sandy color exactly on some maps i like it i like giants yeah i like giants a lot i think they're cool i also like while verbeaks are just like i don't know big humans i also like them i just kind of like their art you know mm. they feel to me like if Goliaths are like the like, I mean, Goliaths play a weird role because they're not actually large. They're kind of like the, you know, yeah. stepchild of the giant kin, but they're like, I don't know, kind of slender and tall. Yeah. And I don't know. I kind of like the idea of there's these big cold people that aren't necessarily like jacked. They're just strong because they're so big. Yeah. I, I like the idea of like, gi- like Verbig or giants, um, sheep herders and stuff like them having these like mountain goats that they herd. Yeah. In like these rocky areas, I know it's a fun visual to me. And just also the Icewind Dale rhyme of the Frost Maiden art of the Verbeek. I just like it. He's got this little top knot and like these funny ears. It, uh, he besides the fact that he's depicted doing crime, he is friend shaped to me, and so I like him. Also, I will say it talks very much here of frozen endless stone and how cold it is. So we've gone immediately. No more heat. Heat's gone. You cross that line between the sand and the stone and... Cold giants. Gets out of here. I also like... Sorry, real quick. I also <laughs> like um, the concept of uh, renegade dwarf bands. Yeah. What are they renegading against? <laughs> right? Like, what are, they, what, are they, what are they renegating? Are they, like, against other dwarf clans? <laughs> are they... Because they seem to be, and meet for elf laws, renegade dwarf bands, and a few human and hobgoblin barbarian tribes. So they're like their own thing in there they seem to be some sort of outlaw but they're not barbarians yeah. what are they what are they they just don't want to follow the, the system i don't know maybe there's like a rich a rigid system of society or caste or something in dwarven society that we haven't touched on and they're like nah maybe maybe they all shave <laughs> the sword point peak is a useful landmark its soaring, clean-lined needle shape is unmistakable from afar. Manticores are known to layer nearby, drinking at several natural wells around the base of the sword point. Intruders trying to use one of these water sources are likely to face a manticore ambush. Manticores are cool. I like them. Yeah. I think they're really cool. I, I think this is a missed opportunity, not calling it the rapier. Oh, yeah. A needle shape mountain. Come on, sword Come on, point. Sword point, yeah. We've already got the scimitar. Now have the rapier. Yeah. That's way, that's way cooler than just the sword point. What are we back in whatever that place was we were before where everything was the sword? <laughs> the backlands. Yeah, the backlands <laughs> where everything was sword. What are we back there? 
I, if okay, if you guys were to go here in my game, it's now called the rapier because that's cooler. That's fair. It's still sword, <laughs> but also yeah, I I like that mental image of stopping for water. Your your source of water gets like a drink after traveling through this area, and then like you hear some rocks fall behind you, and you turn around quickly, and like the rock face is empty, and you know that ambush of Manticores is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Shattered Tower was a famous landmark of the plain. It is a cracked stone castle that looks for all the realms as if someone rammed into it, rammed it into the ground hard at an angle from above, breaking it with impact. It is indeed what happened. The Shattered Tower is actually a cloud castle that drifted too low into the reaches of Faerun's spells and was brought crashing to earth, shattering it into its present ruin. Of old, the fabled cloud castles of the storm giants hung forever above the heart of Anrock, well above the reach of the magic draining spells cast by the Faerun. The giants moved their aerial castles elsewhere long ago at the rise of the Nethery's enclaves, chiefly to the remote north above the spine of the world, some say. But this ruin was left behind. Only the magic that constructed it keeps it from collapsing into rubble. Venturers would be wise not to use any magic while inside, unless they really want to bring the whole thing crashing down on their heads. This castle has been explored by several venturing companies over the years, but the moldering bones of giants who perished in its fall still lie in the rubble-strewn halls, and years of digging await anyone who wants to be sure that they checked every chamber and corner for buried riches. Survivors of the expeditions that have explored the Shattered Castle warn that various monsters have found the place suitable as a lair over the years. Yeah, I like this. I love the idea of a fallen giant castle. It'd be freaking huge. And yeah, that's right. So cool. <laughs> also, immediately, I think of the idea of like, okay, so you're in a group and you're in the castle, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's like a locked door that still has like arcane lock cast on it from way back when. Yeah. And so no one can open it. And the player character is just like, all right, no problem. I'll just cast a quick dispel magic here. Ingmatuma and someone with the party is like, no! no! But, it's, but, it's, yeah. but it's, it's, it's too late and the dispel magic dispels the whole wall and like a piece of the roof comes and the person turns around and goes, what's the squish? Before they it's, can even say, what's the problem? Part of the roof just falls on them. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's so funny. No, squish. No, Damn it. do it. Right, okay. No one else casts dispel magic while in here. <laughs> I, uh, um, I also love the idea of like the Faerum all getting together like we, we brought something down over there was it was it one of the Netheries? I don't know but it was flying ah good enough fuck whatever that was <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah cool I like that the, the, the cloud giant having like I think it's cool too because if you were doing a campaign where people were aware of the Netheries being here in the enclaves they'd be like okay so this is like another Netheries ruin but they're like no this is completely like nothing like you've seen before the make is completely different and how you walk inside and everything's huge yeah exactly like i think it would be a real i know it would change your expectations of what to find do you know how much quick construction that one enclave who all got giantified must have done right (laughs) like oh no (laughs) oh no i can't fit in any of the doorways like some of them were probably like stuck in rooms my toilet is useless yeah could you imagine the one when that happened who was like in the washroom like my bathroom is very small i would be stuck in there i'd be like what what how do i get out what's happening oh no someone come destroy the wall for me wait i'm huge i can destroy it um that's so yeah. funny to me but yeah i think it's really cool i really like cloud giant castles it would also be a good moment of being like see 
The Netherese weren't that original. They were just copycats. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, do they, what do they say? You meet a giant one day and the cloud giant is like, well, you know what they say. Imitation is the highest form of flattery, but it's still only an imitation. Look where it got them. Sips their giant coffee or their giant tea smugly. <laughs> I can really see that being. I, I can really see that being the cloud giant opinion of Netheril. You know, when you said sip their giant coffee, it makes make me think of giants liking things like espressos and other things that are like tiny <laughs> coffees, but then they're also giant. So they're giant tiny coffees. Yeah. It's great. I love that. At about midpoint of its flow, the river of gems curls around a rocky pinnacle known as hero's helm because its shape and a pair of eyehole like caverns make it resemble a giant warrior's helm two eye tunnels lead into the lofty central chamber home to gondalath a blue dragon of awesome size and power a great worm that commands unusual and mighty spells the helm rises 400 feet above the plain the river gorge at its point is about 100 feet deep Gondolas Cavern is about 300 feet up the helm and is known to have traps awaiting intruders such as wands wedged into place to fire at certain triggers, guardian undead, and pitfall shoots that drop victims out into a fall of several hundred feet into the river gorge below. Considering when this lore was written, I doubt they mean the new great worms from Fizzbands. Right. But that is up for anyone else to decide, yeah. and that would be intense as all hell. <laughs> Those things are terrifying. <laughs> just gigantic. Those are pretty much gods, and it's just hanging out here. Not just gigantic, just messed up, terrifying. That's fair. It's just like pretty much like a demigod hanging out here in the desert. With uh, some pitfall traps. So yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, I kind of doubt that it's one of those great worms, and this is just a term for really big dragon. But that's cool. I like a good dragon. Also, I like that this one's name is not uh, relatively easy to pronounce. Yep. Gondolath. Gondolath. Also, I just like, it's always funny to me, pitfall or, you know, trap opens. And, like, just imagine describing to your players. You're like, yeah. okay, uh, roll a dexterity save. Ten? Okay, yeah. Um, the floor underneath you falls away and you start falling uh, for several hundred feet. Yeah, right. Splash. <laughs> well, how do I get back? You don't. Right. Do you have dimension door? You don't. <laughs> you don't. <yeah. laughs> it's just a very yeah, funny name. Near Dark Bones Rift is Orium, and it can be accessed from the rift. The settlement has a contingency spell to wake all 60 liches if the city is ever truly in danger. So this is... Is this Saruk, right? Yeah, this is this is the Saruk. Yeah, this is where uh, the Terraceer and all of them are at. Okay, but all 60 liches. <laughs> Why are there 60 liches? Why are they here? What is this? What What is this? It's all 60 liches. You guys, all right, you all walk into the room. You turn the corner through a doorway. In there is not one, not two, but 60 liches. But, like, it's, it says ever truly in danger. And like I read a little bit. There's a Metro module someone wrote a road to like um can't remember what it was but about a yon t who went down there and usurped the current like lich the one that was awake and kind of named themselves the king the ruler of orium and like that magical area and that didn't set off the alarm and then the next lich woke up and just killed that yon t yeah that makes sense to me yeah <laughs> they're like yeah that's not actually dangerous who, who are you rubbing their lich eyes in yeah. sleepiness who, who are you i'm i'm the king of orim 
right now, kill. <laughs> All right, kill. now that that person is gone, what's been going on here? <laughs> exactly, what are we doing? <laughs> kill. All right, moving on then. <laughs> yeah, moving on. <laughs> Distinctive crooked hat-shaped form of Taro's pillar makes it visible for great distances. It rises out of a steep gulch to tower some 300 feet over the surrounding land. The pillar's crest often provides a nesting site for dragons, and there is a legend that these dracos are attracted to some thing of interest to the dragon kind. A gigantic ancient horde, perhaps, or draconic spell or magic items. Whatever the truth of this matter, many adventurers have seen dragons flying from the top of the pillar to hunt or to fight other dragons who come to challenge them. Some spectacular midair battles have been witnessed by terrified adventurers, and the race of the dragons reported to have lairs atop the pillars varies from year to year. So it is hard to argue with the conclusion that there is something attracting dragons strongly enough to cause fights for possession of the apparently bare rocky height. The cult of the dragon considers this place a sacred place, and begun to mount annual armed pilgrimages to it largely for the purpose of driving off or slaying adventurers who come too close to the pillar. This is actually near where Dubloon, that city that counterfeited gold, disappeared. Right. I'm oh, sorry, was first founded. Uh, not where it disappeared, but where it was first founded. And I have this like thought of like maybe they had like a contingency of like real gold, gold that they hid, like counterfeit gold. Oh, maybe. Because like if you're making fake gold, you wouldn't want to give it all up at once because that would just make gold completely worthless. True. I so just... like I think you would keep it around, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe they had a stash of real gold because I mean. I feel like dragons would be able to sense that it's fake gold because of their, like, mystical... Well, but it's Netherese. Maybe it is, like, as real as you can yeah, get. Yeah, maybe. Also, maybe they had a stash of real gold just in case, you know, someone was like, wait a second, this is fake! And then the doubloon the <laughs> right. go, well, here, here's a bit extra real gold to keep your fucking mouth shut. And they're like, oh, <laughs> okay, that's cool. You know, to buy off any uh, shady individuals. But yeah, maybe, that's cool. I like connecting it to a Netherese thing that makes sense to me mm. also i'm glad that something is going on there because like the second you said it's a hat shaped tower yeah like natural tower shaped like a hat it's like not once across any campaign have i ever described something being a natural <laughs> landmark shaped like something it's not supposed to be right have have any of you ever just been like okay cool that's a landmark no no no, no. Yeah. it's always it's always <laughs> oh why is it like that is there something special there is it literally that what do you mean it's shaped like a hat what are you talking about is it actually a really big hat no it's just a rock that vaguely looks like a hat well why does it look like that is it magic is there a dungeon in there that sounds really scary and sketchy we're gonna go buy uh, like a hundred potions just in case it's really sketchy and it's like i'm here putting my hand over my forehead just being like guys guys it just it doesn't even really look like a hat it just kind of looks like a hat it's just so you can understand where you're supposed to go every time like i remember when you guys ran into the um uh, uh, a rock right. shaped like a paladin's head or something and pretty much all of you were just like wait mm. is it literally a really big helmet like a giant's helmet what is it is it magic what do you mean it looks like a paladin head and the vistani had to literally just be like it is just a mm. rock right that vaguely looks like a guy's head. Don't be sketched out about it. It's fine. Our, our knives are already out. Like, what do you mean? Explain. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's no such thing as non-sketchy natural landmarks yeah. in D&D. So I'm glad this one actually has something there because the players will always be like, what? Yeah, I love the idea of the players come and you're like, 
In the distance, you see a very large natural pillar. Its crooked form is shaped like that of a hat. And then the players interrupt your description, and they're like, Is it sketchy? Do I know anything about it? Does it seem magical? And you're like, okay, well, I was about to get to the, you know, ten dragons flying around it like bees. So I would say, yes, it is sketchy. And the players are like, what? Ten dragons? Uh, I love that dragons are apparently drawn like moths to a flame, though. To, <laughs> to great magical wealth. That's a great wealth. Yeah, I love that. The Giant's Fall Rift is a crooked mini branch crack in the earth that runs for almost two dozen miles through the plain. It is several hundred feet deep and over three miles wide, and its trampled earth is thickly grown with lush grass. Goats, sheep, and longhorned antelopes graze here, but their population is kept from exploding by giants who dwell there. Named for a monster among giants slain here, a 40-foot-tall giant slain here by dwarves in a bloody fight long ago. The rift is still home to many hill giants. A spring at one end of the rift feeds several ponds along its length. Many caves have been dug in the rift walls above these pools so that the giants who dwell there can hurl rocks down at creatures coming to drink below. Gold veins can be found in at least one of these caves, for the giants of the rift adorn themselves with necklaces of humans, dwarves, and various predators' skulls that have been dipped in gold and polished. Yeah, I love this. I love dwarf-giant conflict. Yeah. (laughs) Because... It's just so funny to me. One, I don't know the context, really. But it's just, to me, it just seems like they're like, we're too similar, but you're big and I'm small. War! What, you think you're so good we being, sh- so, being taller than me? What, you think you're better than me? We we share an alphabet and a love of stonework, <laughs> and we also are hairy with beards and stuff, and we vaguely dress the same. But you're big and I'm small. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> War time. War time. There can only be one. There can only be one stone cutting Celtic race. <laughs> I'm just. And from the giants' perspective, they're just like the exact same stuff, but just small, and I'm big. Yeah. Just a forty I'm foot gonna... tall giant is. Yeah. It's wild. God, like, and how do the dwarves fighting it? Like just chopping at its ankles. Yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> Get the ballistas. Aim for the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's wild yeah but i like this i like the idea of hill giants with like gold ador- adornments i think that's really fun yeah it's pretty sweet erythe's rest was named for a long ago adventurous who discovered it this verdant valley is about three miles long and a mile wide and consists of a deep clear water central lake fed by underground springs that well up into it surrounded by a thick tangled forest that entirely fills the earthen bull valley and climbs a good way up the sheer rock walls that enclose it Foxes, raccoons, scramble squirrels, and bears roam this tiny paradise. Vultures avoid it because of the eagles that lair above the valley. Erethe's rest is hard to find. It lies between two knife-sharp ridges that join in a pointed peak to the south. On this peak's crest is an eagle's lair, and in its base there are three caves, one of which is home to bears. Hard climbing is necessary to get into or out of the rest. But the ridges and ravines around it hold several known rock faces where iron-rich ore and nuggets can be mined with only a hammer. There's persistent rumors of an entrance to the Underdark, hidden somewhere in the rest. And recently, an adventurer's tale of battling gargoyles in the rest. I like that it's like in some sort of either like caldera from a volcano or maybe like, you know, like a meteor impact site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I think that's really that's cool. That's very cool. I think yeah. Meteor Impact or Caldera, both of those sound cool. But also, I gotta say, adventurous 
is one of the weirdest gendered terms I've ever heard in my life. Right. Just say adventurer. <laughs> I've never heard this before ever until right now. And it's a very odd one to make gendered, yeah. in my opinion. It's very weird. Yeah, very, very. Like, I, I guess there's nothing... There's nothing wrong with it, I guess, but it's just I've never yeah. heard it before, and it's just a weird. Just say adventurer. <laughs> what is this Spanish? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like. Um, I, I don't know this whole Iraqi area where there's like hidden valleys and stuff. It's feeling very Breath of the Wild or like open world game. But my favorite yeah. part of open world games where you climb up a mountain and there's something up there. It's always my first inclination when I play an open world game to climb up the tallest peak and then look around and see what's the, see what's around. And if there's something actually up on the peak that I've just climbed up on, that is pure gold. You've you've got me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's very uh, uncharted. I watched a video the other day of why video games shouldn't be made into movies. Right. And they were like, for example, an Uncharted movie, that would be fantastic, except how do you make this, which is 80% of the game, into a movie? And it cut, hard cut, to exactly what you're talking about. It's just right. Nathan, Nathan Drake scaling a rock face for two <laughs> minutes straight. They play yeah. the whole two-minute clip. And there's no music. He's just going like, uh, huh, yeah, huh, ah, jump. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, very true. That's incredibly fun though yeah yeah <laughs> playing it i love that too it feels very like that it's a very good place to uh kind of search around for like hidden gold or something yeah exactly or like i don't know i think you have to go find someone who's sequestered themselves yeah exactly Arathe's rest and maybe they've destroyed most of these landmarks that point you there so it's harder to find you know some like ancient mage who was like all right well fuck the world i'm gonna go to this nice place yeah, or maybe like you have like a group of Bedin or other people from the desert who, because of Zamtara, because of something that's happening in your campaign, are looking for like a new land. They just, they're done with it. They don't want to deal with the desert anymore. And they heard of this kind of almost like mythical Erethi's rest where there's yeah. easy access to ore and there's lush green grass. And they just like, you, you know, they hire you to travel with them to, to try to find it because I don't know, maybe you're good at tracking or something or good at like, and then you, you get there and renegade dwarves have taken it over for that sweet, <laughs> sweet awe. Yeah. And the Bedin are like, fuck. <laughs> the Valley of Serendin is named for the elf explorer and adventurer who made his home when he grew too old and gentle to roam Faerun any longer. This tranquil spot is a hemispherical hidden valley roughly two miles across. It is a picturesque combination of alpine forests and grassy meadows, watered by at least three streams that spring from its walls and rush down to the trees and cascades. The three streams come together in a deep sinkhole in the center of the vale, and there can be found the two most distinctive features of the vale, Sarindin's abandoned home and a circle of corpses. Both the home, a beautiful miniature castle carved from a single piece of stone, and the corpses are floating upright in mid-air above dark waters of the pool. Some foul magic, or magic-using being, is present in the castle, which is said to still hold the relics and treasures amassed by Serendin during his adventuring career. The corpses are all skeletal, once human and clad in rusting, disintegrated remnants of plate armor. They face each other in a circle 30 feet across. Bones and weapons that fall from them do not plunge into the waters below, but sink only a few inches, then hang in the midair. Some unknown or very powerful magic holds them aloft. A magic that is demonstrably restrained to dispelling attempts. Pretty cool visual. Yeah, that's the terrifying. 
<laughs> yeah, that'd be a sweet first image while entering the dungeon that is this castle. Yeah. Very, very cool. I like that. I like how the Anorak Desert is just like, everything fucking sucks. Here's a list of places that don't fucking suck, because if you do a campaign here, pretty much what you're going to be doing is looking around for the places that don't fucking suck. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, okay, you've now gotten to the place that sucks, not because of sand and hot, but because cold and rock. Right. Here's a list of places that don't fucking suck. But then I love how each one has like its own little flavor, you know? It's yeah. like, now this one is ridiculous gothic horror with a castle that's come out of nowhere and corpses that are cursed to fly around for all of eternity yeah. and you can't dispel it yeah and it's just like uh okay okay this is <laughs> i love how each place has its own like like flavor that's almost completely devoid of connection to all the other places yeah yeah besides yeah, great. this one giants died in yeah well this one has yeah. a bunch of dragons well this one has 60 <laughs> liches <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love i like it though like it's a cool idea of um yeah, the, the the floating if the in the dungeon that you wrote for this character, having there be a lot of levitating spots or spots where you're walking through the ruins or the hallways and gravity works in a way that you don't think you do, or you just start rising and, and like pushed against the, and you can't dispel it. You have to phys- like physically figure out a way or trick your way through at least right. like points that are throwing you up. You know. Yeah, that could be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's a very strong and cool visual. Yeah. The fabled River of Gems is a clearwater river that runs from the edge of the ice wall, northern edge of the plain and southern edge of the high ice, to a sinkhole or a huge crater on the edge of the sword, called the Throat. Its root is uh, one long, snaking gorge. The river is shallow, sluggish flow trickling along the gorge bottom, which is home to many shrub plants and stunted trees. Both the gorge and riverbed are studded with many gemstones. A traveler lucky enough to reach the river can scoop up a fortune in a half a day of scrambling around the gorge. Dark cave mouths open here and there along the gorge, leading to depths of the underdark beneath Anorak. Giant bats lair within, waiting for greedy intruders to come to the gorge. They are not the worst predators of the gorge. Legends of the river are spread by mind-controlled agents of the Faerim to get Faerim a steady supply of slaves and food. By night, or when intruders enter the caves, servant creatures of the Faerim will attack, heedless of their own safety. Pretty sweet. Yeah, I like that. I like the Faerim be like, oh, humans? Yeah, they love, like, these shiny rocks. They love gems, and they're useless to us, so... I think it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know, curse the gems in some way, so that it's like the classic, you know, take the gem from the eye of the statue, and don't know, monsters! I think that'd be pretty cool. Like, it's like... Uh, yeah, yeah. You pick up a gem, and it either triggers the Faerim attack, or you pick up the gem, and as long as you have the gem on you the Ferrum like always know where you are or something you know like there's right. some kind of curse with the gem yeah, and then maybe cool. in like the first encounter you notice that the Ferrum are like focus firing whoever picked up the gem you know so you can kind of like oh yeah that'd yeah, be cool that'd be a cool you could do some really cool little curse stuff with these gems in the Ferrum or maybe you know you walk into a cave and whoever picked up the gem you know gets picked up by a giant bat and flown away and everyone's like wait what the fuck yeah they just they just stole Hrothgar Hrothgar, come back. And Hrothgar's like, I would if I could. <laughs> you think I want this? I also... Yeah, I think that's very cool. I think it would be a fun kind of start of your adventure, whoever you are, that you were from from one of these areas that's like near the Anorak Desert. You're from, I don't know, Cormier or Daylands or the Moonseen area. And you heard like you were a down on your luck 
whatever the heck you were before and you heard this like tale of the gem river and so even when you're starting your adventures you just always have this like promise this like promised land and you keep on trying to tell your party like guys it's you could people say you could just like i heard the guy he said you could just pick the gems right off the like gorge we need to go we got to do this and have that plant that seed of like not knowing that you've been like tricked and be like no this is like this is the answer to all my problems this will pay off all my debts like let's just go yeah yeah i think that'd be fun and like i know you would know that you're setting your character up for this kind of like heartbreak but i think it'd be interesting maybe maybe your other players don't know that you're doing this yeah yeah that'd be pretty cool so i think this is a good as time if any to bring this up when the shadow bar returned during the spell plague one of the first things they did was wage a campaign of annihilation against the Faerim. the netheries claimed that no Faerim now remains alive in toriel even the corpses were blasted into nothingness even so though there was a silvery spire that appeared irregularly in the northern netheril so this area slash the high ice. It assumed that the spire is a tomb containing the physical corpse of at least one Faerim, possibly its arcane arm and armaments, and perhaps a treasure trove of lore. If any creature happens to discover and enter the randomly appearing spire, avoiding the powerful tomb guardians and traps, it might find weapons wedded and keyed to kill the heirs of Netheril, and the Shadowvars want to make certain that that discovery falls to them so they have the power to stuff those weapons. But that caused the Bedeen, who are opposed to the Shadowvar and Nethries, to also go for the Spire, and that they started warring over the Spire. And that war apparently awoke the Faerim in the Spire, who are now back in a small amount. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I just like the idea of trying to find this Spire that disappears and reappears, like Dracula's castle. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Minsk and Boo also touch on why the Faerim are back. Is it this story that they talk about? In Minsk and Boo, yeah, I read that up. There's one, they found a Faerim enclave near Om. It was just like under, yeah, in Minsk and Boo, it's just like some Faerim survived by just like going underground, right? Yeah, I think it's because the Netheries killed them a bunch of places, but they're all underground. They're all deep in the Underdark. So I feel like it's hard to actually get a accurate, like be accurate. So it's like, Yes, in 4E, it said they killed them all. But then in 5E, they're kind of going back and saying, no, some Faerim survived. Especially, yeah, the ones who caught... who Because the Shadowvar re, like, melted some high ice and made more greenery in the Anorak. But then these new return Faerim in 5E recast Life Drain, which then, right. yeah, turned that back. So, like... But I don't think they're nearly as, like, as much as there used to be. Right. So have as many as you want for your story because it, it, it's not really a agreed-upon amount. But That's pretty cool. Kind of like with dragons in past editions. There's not nearly as much as maybe before. Or just like, I like this teleporting tower that's just like, got to keep this corpse safe. Poof, 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 poof. Yeah. It's very funny. Also the fact that like, there's these like, MacGuffin, like, yeah. <laughs> press here to kill a shadow of our weapons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ascor, once a trade port of the dwarven nation of Dazun to trade with the emperor of Nethril on the narrow sea, is now little more than a memory on this now vanished sea. The half-buried hulks of colossal dwarven stone ships rise out of the sands east of Ascor's abandoned docks. Even orcs avoid the ruined city. Intrepid adventurers report that hags command legions of undead here. A circle of thirteen tall. F- Five-sided red pyramids rise in Asgord's center and seem to be used to convey spells of great power 
and in rituals of worship to some evil deity or some whisper. In 15th century DR, Lymerth, Desert Doom, the ancient blue dragon claims dominion over this part of the desert. Two of her offsprings, adult blue dragons themselves, inhabit two of the stone ships in the city. Lymanthir's lair is just northeast of the city in a ruined amphitheater from the time of Netheril. So I really like these stone ships. I think it's really cool. Like these magically, like they would like magically hover stone ships uh, of the dwarves is a really cool idea. I don't know. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a, it's a super weird name. Got, got a magic card, Heimrith. That's cool. Yeah, I at first thought it was Limrith, but it's, yeah, yeah it's an I. That's why it's always, it's like, what? Yeah, that's cool. I really like the, this idea of like a city that's like, I don't know, used to be around a river or a sea that's not there anymore. So there's all these like inhabited land land uh, locked boats that are left over from when the sea disappeared. That's so freaking cool. Yeah. I also love the idea of like, I don't know, it's like, here's the hag dungeon. It's an entire freaking city. Yeah, right. And not only that, but there's we got dungeons in dungeons because there's also pyramids here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Yeah, I like this like, like red pyramid like witch center. That's really cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very cool. Also, I don't understand stone ships. Yeah, they so they were stone built and they would hover using like mithilar like magic and then they crashed to the ground when uh oh. or like sunk quote unquote when uh Mistra died yeah. or Mistra all died. It's kind of cool. It's also kind of stupid. You stupid dwarf making everything out of rock. You know, if you had made it out of <laughs> even if you wanted it to float, if you had made it out of wood, then you know when your mithilar stopped working, they would have floated normally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, 13 red pyramids. The issue with this place is the city itself is a dungeon. Each one of these boats are their own mini dungeon. Yeah. But then there's 13. There's just too many dungeons here. <laughs> too this many dungeons. An, this one city would take an entire campaign. I think it'd be cool, though, to do kind of like like hags with a bit of a desert tinge to them. Like, I feel like you always think of hags as uh, yeah. swampy and stuff. But like, you could definitely do like a dusty hag. I mean, maybe you always think of hags as swampy, but yes, I think a desert hag would be cool. Yeah, I think a desert hag would be cool. I think they're, I'm trying to think, because there's one in Eberron that might be kind of deserty flavored. I forget, because we've already got... There's a dusk hag, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. But I think dusk is night, like, type of dusk. (laughs) Not dry. But uh, I think there might be a deserty hag. I mean, there's a winter, there's a frosty hag, and there's the swampy hag, and there's the snowy hag, and then there's the hag that's like, dreams! So, yeah, I think a desert desert hag would be cool. Due east of Ascor, perhaps 40 miles into the desert, another city rises out of the sands. This one is old, but largely intact. Long cracks lace its spired towers, and here and there, a dome has fallen to winter snow loads or howling windstorms. This one-time independent human city is inhabited and kept more or less in repair. It is now a community of Lamia, who dwell here in rapt luxury amid wines, cloths, aperitif, and magics scavenged from Nethri's ruins over the years. The city holds great riches, but these are little cared for. One escaped human captive spoke of gems tossed carelessly into the corners like so many marbles and magic armor piled in lightless spiderweb shroud storerooms. Perhaps 90 Lamnia dwell here, ruled over by 20 Lamnia nobles. 
Armed with Nethery's magical items, these nobles sally forth from the city in human form whenever Lamnia patrols reported intruders in the area. The nobles attempt to capture the intruders by magic and deception and bring them into the city. In the labyrinthian depths of Helungadeth's lightless cellars, that's the city, Helungadeth's, and storage caverns, the Lamnia keep a breeding colony of humans and dwarves to which all the captives are added. Lamnia live on the cooked flesh of their babies, but taking care not to overeat the herd. The ambitious nobles work on schemes for raids out in the desert to take livestock from orchards in nearby mountains and carry off whatever dwarves and humans they can find. The sands just west of Huluganath lies a crashed ship of the skies. This is a galleon spelljammer, its bow hopelessly smashed, both with an intact minor helm aboard. It cannot sail on water without extensive repairs, but its sturdy frame will serve for an aerial voyage as long as major storms and collisions are avoided. Its crew are long gone and its origins and ownership forgotten. The Lamia know of its past use and keep a watch over it as they search throughout all records they can find to learn how to make it fly. They plan to use it for food raids over the Sword Coast lands in the west and in water-gathering expeditions southwest to the rivers and marshes they know to be there. Okay, all of this is freaking sweet. I like that. I like that this is the first mention of someone scavenging <laughs> magical finds from Netherrealm. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, we've gone so far into this and not once has that been mentioned. I, I know, feel like no that would be like it. the... Me- I know, it's like that... I feel like that's why the Zentarum would be here. I feel like the Datarig would be all about that. I think they do do it. I think they do do it a little bit. Yeah, they probably do it. But like the fact that this yeah. is the first time it's been mentioned is, yeah. I think, ridiculous. <laughs> but this is all very wicked sweet, except for the fact that Lamias are stupid as fuck and I will never put them in my game and I hate them. Lamia nobles are snake-bodied, though. If you look up Lamia care. nobles, they're, they're stupid. snake-bodied. <laughs> they're stupid. I don't care. Also, if you look up Lamia in mythology, I looked them up. They're like, yeah, they have kind of a lion-like body. But they're scaled. I mean, like they're like scaly four-legged things. Lamia, in mythology, are just snake people. No, but there's also ones that like old, you know, the old medieval depictions with like a weird-looking face on like kind of a liony body, maybe, and then like scales. Like it's that just weird. Oh, I'm looking at one here that like has this one. I'm looking at has like boobs sticking out of their scales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's so funny. This is also stupid. <laughs> This is the stupidest drawing I've ever seen. What is this? I hate this. I think you're uh, Yeah, they're hilarious, but I hate them. But, uh, yeah, but Lamia Noble doesn't exist in 5e. Yeah. So, and so we only have... All the old Lamia art had just straight up boobs, too. That's the funniest thing. It's like... But, yeah, switch Lamia out for literally anything else, <laughs> and this is wicked and cool. I'm sorry, I just don't like Lamia, and if That's you're fair. like, whoa, we'll go back to the snake people, it's like, fucking, then they're yuan and then it's like, okay, we'll go back to the Greek scaled lion person that has tits and yeah. what appears to be a stinger penis, <laughs> and like, oh, go back to that, no. Change it to vampires, that'd be cool. Change it to, I don't know, literally anything else. I'm drawing a blank on cool man-eating <laughs> races right now because I'm so mad at Lamias. Uh, they've incited the rage. I just I just hate lion centaurs. They just look so That's, stupid. Yeah, they, they look very dumb. But this is so freaking cool, and it's so evil. 
Like, I think... Yeah, it's so... <laughs> I don't know how dwarves reproduce, if they're like elves or not. Maybe dwarves yeah. reproduce a lot. It's a very bad idea. Humans do not reproduce nearly enough for you to be eating human babies. Like, what is this? Right. Like, <laughs> they're not cattle. Humans take so long to have a baby. This is incredibly inefficient. But, yeah, switch it to literally anything else, and this would be such a cool place to send players because it, they're just so unambiguously, ridiculously evil. evil. <laughs> yeah. Also, the city itself sounds really cool, and I love the idea of it's just, like, packed with riches that these people just don't care about because they're so rich, and they're just like, whatever, we just want to keep our weird human farm. Yeah. It really reminds me of the Camilla story in castlevania right yeah yeah very much that trying to make the human yeah. farms and that's why i mean that's why my mind went to vampire right away but like any kind of race that isn't lamia and it would be cool and if you do like lamias i'm not sorry <laughs> listeners if one of our listeners likes lamias then i'm 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 not sorry for my hatred otherwise very cool <laughs> also sorry very very cool if you wanted to give your party either a spell jammer and you got into high levels and you want to go into spell jamming yeah. Or yeah, if you wanted cool. to just give your party, you know, a skyship and Sid. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> very cool way yeah, to true. be like, yes, you can get a skyship, but it's going to be really difficult to do. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's actually really cool. Most of Anorak, Miles Upon, Trackless Miles, a space larger than any six realms or so that one might combine in one's mind, is covered by a vast fissured glacial ice sheet. Its rifts and heights are innumerable, and few bear names or hold uh, anything of interest to anyone but the savage creatures who dwell here. Legends whisper of cities locked in eternal ice, buried forever, cities of ancient netheril or great elven magic, and lost dwarven wealth and proud orc splendor. But if any living being in the realms has walked the hidden ways of such cities, they have not spoken of it. The high ice overtook the narrow sea of the ancient netheril, when the Shar magic met Pharaoh magic and caused great geographical upheaval. That's pretty cool. Ice. Yeah, pretty cool. So yeah, ice. This is now ice Big desert. Glacier. Pretty cool. I think you could do some cool things mm -hmm. here underneath the ice. Uh, um, excavation, looking for something lost to time. You got to, you know, bury your way into ice or go up there and find something in the harsh environment. Yeah. It's pretty cool. The smoke holes were large round holes that are internally shrouded in cloud-like plumes of steam created by the hot air that is melted through the ice here, meeting the frigid upper air. The smoke holes are vents for hot, steaming, moaning air rising from underground caverns where ice meets lava flows. The hellish spaces below the ice here are known as the caverns of burning ice, and particularly bold gnomes and dwarves have mounted perilous expeditions to reach them to forge or derive metals for the making of splendid weapons. Scalding jets of steam and noxious under-earth gases make descents into the smoke holes or the caverns below dangerous. Salamanders and other heat-loving monsters are said to lurk in the caverns of burning ice, and dragons are known to lair in nearby grottos warmed by hot gas escaping through tiny vents in the rock. Just how extensive the caverns are and what other creatures may benefit from their warmth is not known to the surface realms. Very cool. I think this would be... Yeah. A fantastic quest line for, I don't know, whoever your bad guy is. Yeah. You have to go and essentially Aragorn it and reforge the blade that was broken. Yeah. But you have to do it here. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That'd be really cool. And you can't just do it in any of the lava here. Like there's a specific spot 
in the Caverns of Burning Ice that you have to get to. So not only do you have to get into them, but you then have to explore them and find this specific, like, natural cauldron. I think that would be super cool. Yeah. It would also be added on even cooler if nobody had forge proficiency right like if you didn't have a like if you didn't have a forge cleric or a dwarf or anyone or an artificer i think it'd be really cool because you would also then have to go hire a blacksmith and protect Mm -hmm. them the whole time which would add a really interesting bent to the story yeah that's really cool and like yeah make it so certain parts of the cave structure if they take a wrong turn or just have to go through or like you know con saves to not be poisoned and like you know noxious yeah i mean i've always personally really liked quests where and this is part of the reason i don't know if you've noticed but like in uh morticia's you guys have gotten uh, in the current campaign i run and steven plays in they're on cursed isle of morticia but i've done a lot of like prepping you all in game for what to expect you know you can't drink the water you touch the water you get diseased you can't you can't spend more than eight hours at a time on the actual island plants hurt you and are diseased and it's terribly dangerous blah 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 blah. because one of my favorite aspects of the witcher games and something i've always liked when dms are able to do this is give us enough knowledge where you Mm. haven't ruined the adventure and the mystery of what's going to happen right but i can plan for it right because i've always really liked like in the witcher it's like okay so i need a chalt lure and um, I know that if I make this specific oil and this specific potion, I'll do better against this monster. But I haven't faced it yet, so I don't actually know what to expect. I just know what I can do to prepare. And so I give myself, like, my own little mini quest yeah. to go and get everything I need to make fighting this monster easier. And I think this yeah. would be a classic example of that. You know, it's like, how much stuff can we get to prepare us for this? Because we need... Mm cold winter gear and hot weather gear and poison resistance and (laughs) fire resistance and we need enough money to still be able to have a blacksmith come with us you know yeah (laughs) i think that's super cool and if you want you can even try and find something that'll help you fight fire creatures you know can we go buy a scroll Mm. of cone of cold or wizard are you able to prepare cone of cold you know let's get ready there are many rifts or large crevices in the surface of the seemingly endless sheet of high ice. Many are as large as good-sized river valleys, and all offer some shelter from the howling winds. Most are home to something. Several are distinct enough to deserve such mention. The Rift of Stars is one such. It is large but narrow, running for many miles northeast and southwest of the ice. The river ice here reveals corresponding gashes or clefts in the underlying rock, so that the ice give way to rocky walls. And these are studded with Beldrules, those strange fist-sized gemstones of Faerun that periodically emit a cold, quote-unquote, flash of light. By day, the rift may seem alive with moving, winking reflections, but at night, it's an awesomely beautiful, ever-shifting tapestry of glaring lights. Many adventurers embark on a long road to the rift, made famous by caravan merchants of Om, down on their luck, who came up with a ballad about the road of gems that would make them all rich. The rift is studded with wealth of natural gemstone outcroppings bristling amid the belladules in a natural fantastic load of loads that can make the lucky prospector who reaches it and make it to the far-off gem markets alive very, very rich. Travelers of the high ice have even made fortunes coming upon sacks of rough-hewn rubies, sapphires, belladules, and chunks of amaranth abandoned by dead adventurers or still grimly held by their dead or undead remains. I like this kind of like, this like gold rush that there is up in the high ice. Yeah. Dear God, what is going on in your kitchen? 
the road to the rift. <laughs> the road of the rift. At this time of year. At this location. Localized entirely in your kitchen. Yes. Can I see it? No. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that is like a joke that has been said in a play in the uh, theater house in Arm. Right. It's got to be yeah. <laughs> canonized now. No, I love this place. The thing I like about it is that they've finally mentioned these many rifts and large crevasses. And yeah. I hear a lot of DMs talk about, you know, how to challenge my party with, you know, out of combat exploration stuff. And the thing is, is like out of combat exploration stuff mm. can be a challenge sometimes. But like... Not really, mm. because it's like, yeah, okay, there's a high wall right. we have to climb up. Okay, well, I don't allow flight, so no one can just fly up. Okay, well, I mean, really, all it takes is me getting a rope up there. You know, do I have a familiar? Can I teleport? Do we have a druid? No. Can our ranger climb up it? Okay, so it's really slick, but so the ranger has to make athletics checks, but, you know, has a decent athletics and made it up. Wow. But I think they do more so than being, like, roadblocks for your party, because ultimately... There's a big chasm that you have to pass. That's not that exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, cool, an encounter to drain my resources. You want me to cast fly so that we can get over it? Sure, but at the same time, it's not very exciting. But what it does do, I think, is more so than being like an actual encounter or putting it there to drain resources, is it makes the world feel real and alive and cool. Mm. And so like yeah to navigate this place you need a ladder not to climb up but to climb across yeah and i think that that's really cool and does a really good job for making stuff feel real and cool and it's like you don't even have to require a check to cross the ladder for it to still feel dangerous and cool just with your description and when you describe the world as like this place full of dangerous crevasses and large caverns and rifts that are you know, treacherous to climb across, even if you don't bring skill checks or resources into it, it still makes it feel like you are doing this dangerous thing because if you didn't have the ladder, you'd be screwed. Yeah, yeah. And I like that this place specifically calls that out because I love the idea that it's like, we need the ladder for the classic Everest exploration, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's very cool. Also, I love these gems yeah. that are just like, cold light. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, can you do that again? And it's like, well, randomly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a coy little Belgerill. I'll let out my light when I want to let out my light. The rift contains many tiny caves and hollows, gouged out by eager miners over the years. And these may provide temporary shelter and yield meltwater when a sunny day follows a snowfall. Bright sun turns the rift into a blaze of reflections and also causes cracking, singing sounds in the gem-laden, crystalline rocks heat up. The prolonged periods of sunlight is possible for uncaid humans to sunbathe or even roast in the sun, draped in the right areas of the rift. Yeah, I also love this idea of, like, snow blindness. Yeah. Like, I love that this place just requires prep because it's like, okay, we got to get cold winter clothes, we got to get a freaking ladder, and then we got to get those weird little sunglasses made of, like, you know, uh, seal bones yeah. where it's just, like, the little tiny slits yeah. instead of uh, eye holes so that we don't just go blind from the light on the ice. And imagine and going through like, that right after you've gone through the outer rock desert or, like... That's the thing. Yeah. you got to do both. I love that. Yeah. Just to get to this place. And then when you're there... You know, on day two, the DM's like, all right, the sun rises up, it reflects the sunlight, and you all start cooking alive inside your cold winter clothing. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah, I just, yeah, it's very cool. I like this. I know, I like the kind of gold rush era too. Like, I, I can imagine in one of the Tareg villages you're in, you visit, like, there's a quest or a woman in the tavern who's 
husband or who's uh, son or someone or there's uh, someone's lover who's gone up there yeah, uh, in order to get like gems and they haven't heard from them in like months. And so you go up there and you, you know, sadly find their dead body or something, or, yeah. but like a heartfelt note to their beloved or something like it's that. Right for side quests. Another large glacial rift is shaped like a bent human arm. Its glistening treacherous ice slopes descend into a lake of ice flows and steamy plumes. Hot springs bubble up from the depths of the earth here and have melted a rift that almost freezes over, but whose icy crust never quite hardens entirely. Instead, a shifting tangle of canted, wind-sculpted ice flows cover the tempered waters that are home to many large fish and things like white-skinned cold-water octopi. The chance of good meals brings many high-ice predators down from the rift where they feed and are fed upon by the denizens of the depths. I think this would be a really cool place to have an encounter where you're all on an ice flow and every round at initiative 10, or maybe not even at initiative count, maybe at the start of everyone's turn, you roll a d8 and the ice rift moves in that direction or the ice flow. I think that would be a really cool place to have an encounter where it's just like at the start of each one of your turns, you just move against your will from these floating chunks of ice you're on. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, that'd be so fun to have a fight there and have like, yeah, these ice flows move around and that'd be so cool. I love that. The lonely peak of Untriven is the abode of many yeti and is said to be haunted. Its name means singing rock in a long vanquished tongue. And the name and the haunted reputation both stem from the fact that this mountain rings like a bell from time to time from the blows of hammers in the depths. The hammers welded by the Thaled, or tomb tappers. Tomb tappers dwell in the depths beneath the high ice and deeper underground elsewhere in the realms. This mountain is the only known surface connection with the deep tunnels. It rings because it is honeycombed with smooth carved curving chambers and passages. Some sages say that there is much treasure to be found in Nutrivin of gems and rare metals. Others say cynically that no explorer has returned laden with such or as far as they know returned at all. Have you ever seen the tomb tabbers? They're terrifying. Yeah, they got like a mouth yeah. on their stomach and then a giant hammer has a hand. Yeah, they're so scary. They yeah. finally got printed in Icewind Dale and they're so scary. They're also like ridiculous. Yeah. They're like CR15 or something. They're they're messed up they're very scary yeah i like this idea of like i don't know there was two maybe they were sent to destroy a famerim nest there way long ago and they finished their work but now they're just there killing anything that comes across them in the underdark they're just wandering around tapping yeah so yeah that's this area i think it's very it, it's not impossible to make a character from here because they're nothing lives here other than creatures but i think you could make like if you wanted an interesting background for your goliath i think it would be a really cool flavor for goliath to be from here with like giant kin being very strong in the plane of standing stone also i just think like the the places that are here like the the gold rush rift and stuff could be an interesting place to for you have visited in your backstory yeah i think if i were to make a character that involved this because the frigid hellscape you're not, you're not being from here. Yeah. Maybe you escaped from the Lamias and that's why you're from here. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Actually, fair. Uh, yeah, that's a decent one. You were supposed to be Lamia food and you escaped. But I think it would be cool. A backstory is that so you are from Om. Doesn't matter where, if Kala, whatever. And you go here for the gold rush and you're like young and wide eyed and they bring you for whatever specialty you have or something. But um, you're crossing a large crevasse on a ladder and too many of you go on it at once 
and the ladder starts to crack in the middle and break. And your mentor or whoever, someone that's close to you, I would say like a mentor or a mm. father figure or something or an older brother, they throw you off the ladder instead of themselves to the other side of the crevasse as they plummet down into the ice to be lost forever. Right. And so now your goal is to save them. Mm. But you have no power to do that. And you need, you know, you're adventuring around until you can get true resurrection and bring them back. Right. Yeah. Either in the sense that you're going around until you can find someone that can give you that power, or you're a spellcaster who, you know, maybe you were brought because you could cast Produce Flame, and that's all you could do. All you could do was cast Produce Flame. But yeah. you were brought because that's so important in the high ice, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. you feel like if you were just a stronger spellcaster, you would have been able to save them, and now you're on the adventure to get True Resurrection. Or, you know, you were brought along because you're, I don't know, a rogue, and you can climb really well. And so now you're on the adventure to find someone or some way to get true resurrection without being a caster. Yeah. I think that'd be a really fun backstory. I think that'd be really cool. I think also you could flip it and do like a revenant. If you ever saw that weird movie. Yeah. Uh, where like yeah, yeah. you were coming back from a, a group that went up to get the gems and someone betrayed you and left you for dead. And maybe you came back like you had frostbitten arms. So now you have prosthetic, some prosthetic limbs and like, you know, really scarred. But like you vow revenge on this person that maybe actually sold all the gems that you were supposed to get and is now like a new noble or like a merchant lord in Om. And you just like you want revenge. Yeah, bought their way into nobility. Yeah, yeah, I think that's super cool. You could be a reborn. Yeah, a reborn. Yeah, you could be a reborn. You could, oh, you could have this really cool character who is like, covered in wrap in like in bandages and wraps it's because you have like all these like frostbite underneath and stuff and like yeah you're just constantly kind of covered in wraps and stuff like that so like when you do meet that noble uh when you finally come face to face you can like kind of take off the wraps and have your like scarred frostbitten face and they like recognize like recognize me yeah i think that'd be quite cool uh, i think that'd be really cool frosty reborn i think that'd be cool as as a cleric of Aril too is to have someone who's like wrapped up in bandages from like frostbite and stuff like that someone who's like too connected to the cold and like has that kind of i know i think that'd be a really cool look for Aril priest well that's it for our journey today be wary of jealous prospectors coveting your hall on the road out of the rift next episode we're covering the gray peak mountains and Parsnell. Thank you, Lily, for joining me. Yeah. Thank you also for the amazing cover art. Yeah. Blood and dust for the theme music around the fire. You can find them in Bandcamp. Links in the description of the episode. We're done. We're done. The Anorak and Netheril. We're we're done this the series. We've we've made it through. Wow. There's so many episodes. There was a lot to cover. There's so many um, episodes. Thank you for sticking with us, everyone. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and have a great long rest. Bye.